All right, so the last time I was here, I gave you guys a quick testimony of uh, my parents, you know, the struggles they ran into when they were in Cambodia and how they made the trek into Thailand and over into the U.S. and the kind of things that they faced and the struggles that they had, right? But the story doesn't end there. So what I want to do is that I actually want to extend that story a little bit farther and let you know exactly what happened when my dad got to the U.S., right? So he came into the U.S. in 1983. I was born in the Philippines. I was only about three months old when he came over. Um, and then two years after being in the U.S., um, uh, my mom ended up um, getting pregnant and giving birth to my youngest sister, Sana, um, in 1985. Um, and the thing with the Cambodian culture is that, you know, when, you know, pregnant women are going through the process of recovery um, for pregnancy, they would drink this alcohol that has, like, medicinal roots and things like that in it, right? And they will drink that twice a day um, just for their recovery process because it's supposed to heal them quicker um, or, or, or better, should I say, right? So my mom started taking that, um, and unfortunately, through that process of recovery of taking that alcohol, she ended up getting addicted to it, okay? So she ended up getting addicted to it, um, and then that addiction of that, you know, the medical, um, quote-unquote, alcohol led to her consumption of other alcohols, and, um, and she's been an alcoholic ever since, you know? Um, things got really, really bad when I turned about uh, 16 or 17. She was in and out of the hospital, um, you know, in rehab. Um, they had to strap her down to the gurney because she was, like, hallucinating and things like that just from the withdrawal from the alcohol itself, right? So my dad was going through a lot. And he, not only did he have to travel to uh, go to, you know, the hospitals every other day, but he also had to take care of everything at home. You know, I was only 17. I have an older sister that was 18 at the time and my younger sister that was 15 at the time. So I remember this conversation clearly where he sat me down and he was like, listen, I need you to listen to everything that I tell you right now. Your mom is struggling. If your mom is struggling, I'm struggling. So because of that, I need you to man up. I know you're 17, but I need you to man up. I need you to learn how to be a man now and quick because I need you to help take care of your family here at home while I take care of your mom at the hospital. So throughout that entire period, it was like two or three months where he was meeting me twice a week, literally giving me lectures. Okay, this is how you be a man. This is how you take care of your family. This is how you show love to your family. And me at 17, I didn't want to go through that. At 17, you don't want to be the man of the house. You want to be outside throwing rocks at moving cars. Sorry, I know that's a bad thing. <laughs> this is a Bridgeport thing, okay? You know, you want to do that. Like at 17, my voice was barely cracking, all right? I had two chin hairs, which I was very happy about. Got a little more now, right? But I, I was still not at that point of being a man of the house, but he still forcefully made me do it. Now, even though at that particular time period, I was really hurt, I was like, listen, I'm losing out on a lot of daylight where I could be playing basketball outside, right? But I'm losing that because I have to sit there and have conversation about this. And I didn't realize until older how important it was for him to really instill in me and speak into me the idea of leadership, leadership of my family. So if it wasn't for those kind of conversations, I would not be standing here in front of you and saying that I'm getting ready to church plant. It was because of that conversation. Now, even though the, the idea of my mom going through, you know, uh, um, you know, alcohol issues, right, that's a huge dark point in my life. That was a valley in my life, but the Lord took that, right? And he uses, he was like, you know what? As dark as this seems, I'm going to use this for, uh, for triumph, and I'm going to create in you a leader. So I thank my dad every day for that, for that opportunity to become a leader. And the reason why I'm telling you that story is because we've been going through the book of Exodus, right? And we were seeing the entire journey of Moses, the great thing that Moses was doing, and the great thing that God was doing in Moses. He just pulled him out of Egypt, right? Now he's 
he gave Moses the power to do a miraculous thing. You're talking about splitting of the seas. We're not talking about making a, a, red, a, a stoplight turn red so I can cross the street. No, we're talking about a wall of water. Can you imagine the Israelites walking and there's a wall of water and they're able to walk through on dry land? That's the power of God. That's what he was doing with the Israelites. And even when they crossed over and then they were lost in, in the wilderness, they started to get tiresome and weary and the complaints started coming. They were hungry. So God sent them quail and manna. Right. Moses slapped the rock and water came out. All of these miraculous things were happening. Right. But then you get up to Exodus 18 and there's a really interesting conversation between Jethro and Moses. Now, before we get into that story. Right. I want to take the time just to pray one more time. I truly believe what's written on that wall right there, which is never stop praying. That prayer needs to be the bookends to the message. Right. So let's just go to the Lord one more time. Dear Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, God. And I ask that you continue to fill this room. May we feel your presence. May we continue to recognize you in everything that we do, everything that we hear, and everything that we say. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you guys have your Bibles with you, just open up to Exodus 18. If you don't have the Bibles, no worry, because we're going to, a lot of the key passages will be on this gigantic screen in the, in the background. All right? So at this very point, Jethro is hearing all the great things that's happening with Moses, right? And he decides that, okay, I want to hear, I'm hearing all this cool stuff. I want to witness this firsthand. So he decides to take his daughter, who was Moses' wife, and the two kids, and travel to go see Moses. Now, backstory before this, you know, uh, um, Moses met Jethro in Exodus chapter 2 and chapter 3, where he married his wife Zipporah, right? So during this wilderness and during this, this him leading all these people that are complainers and, and going through all this stuff, right? He decided, you know what? I'm going to send my wife and my two kids away to stay with my father-in-law for a little bit just so I can focus on leading these people. So he sends them away. And as soon as he sends them away, that's when Jethro hears all the great things. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go make a visit. Let's pause right there real quick. If you just sent away your wife and your kids, right, back to your father-in-law, and then all of a sudden you get word that your father-in-law is about to come and see you. That's not something you want to hear, right? Can you imagine, like, if, if me, if I sent my wife home, like, okay, listen, I'm going through a lot of stuff in the church plan right now, and I just, I, I got to lead a whole bunch of people. Can you do me a favor? Just go, go stay at mom's house for a couple of days. Take the kids. And as soon as she gets there, my mom shoots me a text saying, hey, I'm, I'm about to come visit you. Let's talk. <laughs> I'm hiding. I'm under the kitchen sink. I, I'm, I'm on 95 South going back to Connecticut. But the interesting thing is that when, when, when J- Moses heard that Jethro was coming, that's not how he responded. Not how he responded at all. So that's where we're going to pick up, right? Uh, we're going to do Exodus 18, verses 6 through 8. So Exodus 18. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and, your, and, and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all the things that the Lord has done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So he didn't respond how I would have responded. He didn't go into hiding. He welcomed Jethro. He's like, come. He gave him a hug, bowed down, kissed him. And then he gave him a report. This is all the awesome stuff that God's doing right now. He did it to the Egyptians, he's doing it to Israelites, all for God's sake, right? And then Jethro was so happy about the process, he makes a great claim. He goes, now this is the reason why I know that this God is the greatest of all gods. It's his ability to do that, right? And then something else happens. See, at this point, you know, me, say for instance, I was Moses, right? Like I told you, I would panic if my father-in-law was coming to see me. Now that we just had that hug and a kiss, 
in the, in, in the, in the whole report of everything going good, I'm, I'm on my high horse. Everything feels good, right? But that's not how the conversation continues. This is how the conversation continues, right? In Exodus chapter 18, verses 17, right? At this point, Moses was sitting down every day, and all these people were literally gathering around him. They had all a bunch of complaints. They had all uh, their, their lives were in shambles. It was a mess. And what would happen is that Moses would judge each and every one of them and let them know and give them advices on what to do. And he was doing that from sun up to sundown all day. So when Jethro saw this, he questioned. He was like, what is going on? What is going on? And in, in Exodus chapter 18, verse 70, he says, Moses, father, um, uh, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. This is the first instance where Jethro speaks into Moses, right? What you're doing is not good. So now this really sounds like an in-law conversation, right? What you're doing is not good, right? My mother-in-law would have swung first and then asked, told me that what you're doing is not good. So now the conversation really gets intense. Now imagine, you know, you just went through that whole mess, right? You just got them moving the Israelites out of Egypt. God gave you power to do that. You just got done seeing the man in the, in, in, in the quail, slapping the water or the rock for some water, and now Jethro wants to come and say, what you're doing is not good. That's not the most encouraging thing to feel. But guess what? Jethro came out of love because it says it straight out in verses 1 in, in chapter 18. What did it say? It said, Jethro heard of all the great things that God was doing, and he wanted to come because of that. So he came because of all the great things. Now, the reason why we're speaking into that is that, listen, Jethro spoke into Moses. This is Moses we're talking about. We're not talking about a random guy. This is Moses, the all-powerful that split the seas, Moses. But guess what? Even Moses, the, probably one of the biggest leaders we will ever think of in the Bible, had to be spoken into. So when you're thinking about your lives, right? Where, where were there opportunities for people to speak into you and were you receptive of that? Because I know for me, if I was Moses and I just got done all those cool stuff, you're going to come and talk now? After all that cool stuff, you wasn't, in, you wasn't shooting in the gym with me. Sorry, Kobe Bryant comment. You weren't there with me now. You want to come and speak into it after all, all, all of this? That I, would have been, I wouldn't have been too receptive of that. But Jethro, being who he is, had to speak into Moses. So my conversation that's going on in my head right now is I want you guys to challenge yourself and ask yourself, when was the last time that you spoke into your brother and sister? I don't care what, how big of a leader they are. When was the last time we spoke into somebody because we felt the truthness and the conviction of the gospel in our hearts to do that? We don't feel comfortable doing that. You know why? We don't do it because we're so afraid of the response. So afraid of the response. You have to be able to position yourself to be able to speak into others. Position yourself, capital, position yourself. Before you even think about opening your mouth, you have to be in the proper position to speak, right? Not being in position doesn't mean you can't speak. If you're not in position, you could speak, but trust me, when you speak, nobody's listening. Nobody's listening because you're not in the right position. So what does this position really look like? Look at Jethro himself. Jethro was a priest in Midian. Not only that, Jethro took Moses in when he was running away from the Egyptians. Remember that time when he killed that dude? He took him in, and not only that, he gave him the greatest gift. He gave him his daughter. That's a big gift. So he did all of these things, and not only that, that's the father-in-law. And, it, and just in chapter 18 itself, it says it 13 times. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. That's the relationship they had. That's what, you, what's what I mean when I say be in position. 
You have to be sensitive to the instructions, convictions, and calling to God to speak the truth into your neighbors. So if you want to talk about position, the one thing you have to do first and foremost is understand where you stand with God. After you understand where you stand with God, then you can understand where you stand with your neighbors. My father taught me this all the time, and he used to do this. This is how you continue to love and minister, right? This is how you continue to do it. And the entire time I was like, why is this 60-year-old Cambodian man trying to be a cheerleader and pointing at random things? But he was like, this is how you must remember that your relationship with God is going to reflect who you are and your relationship with people. And your relationship and your love with people is going to reflect who God is. Continually. Your relationship with God and your relationship with people. So now, even when I'm talking and I'm getting ready to, to speak to my core team and things like that, this is what I'm thinking. Cheerleader, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Some of you guys are imagining me in a skirt right now, and that's messed up. <laughs> so the question I want you to ask is, are you in position? Okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, therefore, having put away, any, uh, putting away all falsehood, let... Um, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's two words in there I want you to focus on. Truth and neighbor. The reason why I want you to focus on truth is that is what's going to really, that's going to really show your relationship with the Lord. Because as much as loving as you may be with your neighbors, if you're not speaking truth, it's a waste of tongue. It's a waste of saliva. It's truth in neighbor. When, and the reason why we're focused on neighbor is that it doesn't say any random person. It doesn't say the, the, the dude that lives 15 blocks down from you. It's not the random guy in North Dakota. It's your neighbor. If you can create a relationship with those around you to become neighbors adjacent with one another, that's what you call love. Speak the truth. Be a neighbor. Speak the truth. Be a neighbor. That is how you position yourself to be able to speak into somebody. Like, I'm going to tell you a quick story of how I gave my life to Christ, right? When I was 14 years old, my best friend who lived on the third floor of me, his name was Richard, grew up with me, middle school, everything together. We did everything together. Th throwing rocket cars, yes, we did that together, <laughs> all right? But I blamed him every time we got in trouble. He ended up moving away, right? And then when we were going into high school, we started to grow apart a little bit. We were still best friends. We were still speaking probably once a week. And I remember one time I was going to Caldors. Anybody know what Caldors is? Anybody knows Caldors? Oh, right. Nostalgic, right? Yeah, I'm older than I look. I know. I remember seeing him in Caldors, and I remember he had that conversation he had with me. He said, Simon, his family was Buddhist. My family's Christian. And he said, I am so jealous of you because you get the opportunity to go to church, right? His family didn't allow him to do that. He didn't know if there was a God or not. He didn't believe in, in, in Buddhism either. But he just wanted simply to have the option to figure that out on his own, and he was never given that option. And in his eyes, I could see there was a struggle. There was something up. There something was not right. So I remember one day, this was like two weeks after I met him at Caldors, I was getting a haircut, probably the best haircut in the world, a bowl cut. <laughs> yes. Like a, literally a bowl cut. My mom used to take a bowl, put it on my head, and cut it around. Now, if you don't have a notice, my head's a little bit big, so the bowl wouldn't fit. When she put it on, it looked like a yarmulke. So we had to take it off. So she literally went, in, she went into the kitchen and found a colander. Yes, a straining colander, and she slipped it on my head and cut circles around here. What's worse is that if, if my hair is short now, but when my hair is long, it's really, really curly. Like, really, really. I'm like one activator away from a jerry curl. <laughs> like, I, I look like the Asian Lionel Richie. Like, that's, what, that's how curly my hair is. So as soon as she put the calendar up, up, my hair would just spring right back up right to the top. It didn't work out too well. Now, I know that that has nothing to do with the, the, the lesson plan itself. I just want to give you some imagery, right? So I'm getting my 
number one haircut. And then I hear my grandmother scream from the second floor, and she starts running downstairs, running high, high speed. And when I say high speed, it took her 20 minutes to get down two steps. <laughs> so she screams. She goes, Simon, um, somebody was shot um, at Richard's house. At this point, Richard lived probably, I want to say, two or three streets down from me. So I'm like, no, that, that can't be. I grew up in Bridgeport. Gunshots happen every day, right? That happen every day. But when you hear that it's happening at your friend's house, something's not right. I got up, Jerry Curl and all, ran out the front door, ran straight towards his house. When I got to his house, cops all over the place. And his younger sister was sitting in the front stoop. And I'm like, what's going on? And she can't even get it out. And then after probably like 15 minutes of trying to figure out what's going on, she said, he took his life. He got into his, his dad's gun cabinet, shot himself in the head. Now, the reason why I'm telling you the story is that I'm not trying to create a sense of a mopey environment. The reason why I'm telling you is that that very night, I got into my bathtub, right, to shower. Even though I grew up in a Christian family, I never dedicated my life to the Lord. I got on my knees in the shower, and I prayed that prayer, Lord, take everything. I don't know what's going on. I don't like this feeling. Take everything. And I dedicated my life to the Lord right inside the shower. The person that spoke into me was not even a Christian. The reason why I'm bringing this up is that Every time that we get in that opportunity to be able to be spoken into, how receptive are we? We spend so much time trying to figure out who's speaking to us, then we're not paying attention to what's spoken about. We say it all the time, oh, hypocrites and stuff like that. If you're a hypocrite, I don't want to hear nothing from you. But guess what? Hypocrites may not tell you the right things to do, but they can sure as heck tell you what not to do because they've experienced that. They've experienced that. Let's continue reading in uh, Exodus 18, verses 21 and 23. And this is what Jethro responds to Moses, right? He goes, moreover, look for able men, for all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bride, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds of fifties of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they need to decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and that you will, be, uh, you will bear the burden with you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. So what's the second thing that we keep in here? The first thing we already spoke about that we have to be in a position to speak into, right? And that second thing is what? You can't do it by yourself. You cannot do it alone. It was never meant to be that way. I learned the hard way, too, when I got the call to be a church planner. I thought that, oh, it's a vision given me. It was a call given me, and I did it all by myself. Oh, man, I lost a lot of hair from that. I shaved my head now just to, to try to mask it, but my hairline all the way back. <laughs> okay, that's, what I want, that's, that's some of the things I want you to think about. We can't do it by ourselves. We have to learn how to delegate. We need to be able to uncover like, leadership potentials, be able to encourage and build those people so that the burden can be spread across. Can't do it by yourself. And that's what he asked Moses to do. Like, listen, you can't judge all these people one by one. That's going to take too much time, and you're going to kill yourself. Find able men to help you do that. And, that's, and, and when you read that passage, there's three things happening here. We see Moses himself being by himself. That's where the struggle is. Number two, we see there's a lack of leaders. He had to go and look for these people. He had to go and build these people. And number three, people couldn't figure out their own mess. People couldn't figure out their own mess. So what are we doing in our, in our lives in terms of our fear of influence with our neighbors to be able to really build on that, right? To really build each other to figure those things out. 
There's a term that I, I love to say, right? If you want to go somewhere fast, you go by yourself. But if you want to go somewhere far, you go with others. If you want to get somewhere fast, go ahead. Go by yourself. But you're going to be lonely. It's going to be burdensome. You're going to be stretched thin. But if you want to go far, go with others. Very important. So one, speak into. Be in position to speak into. And two, don't do it by yourself. Do not do it alone. I'm going to give you a quick illustration, right? So say, for instance, we have a cup right now in the middle of the stage, right? And I were to pour water into that cup. That looks like a normal thing, right? We pour water in a cup all the time. But say, for instance, I'm filling this cup with the water. Now the cup is full. Now at the very point, I keep pouring. And now there's water pouring over the cup. Now the water's spilling all over the floor. The more I pour water into that cup, the bigger the radius effect. More people are going to be affected than, 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 than normal. The more water I pour into the cup, the more water is going to start matriculating and touching the feet of many people. Here's the issue. We, we already spoke about, you know, speaking into. We already talked about not doing it alone. And now the, the number three is the biggest issue. When we can't even, we're not even positioned to receive being spoken into. It's easy to, to talk. It's easy to speak into. But it's hard to listen. Look what, look what Jethro did. Right? Look what Moses did. Moses welcomed him with open arms, gave him a hug, gave him a kiss, and then listened to the very words of Jethro. Would you do the same thing? If somebody was trying to speak into your life, what keeps you from listening? That's what I'm talking about with the overflow of cup. A lot of times we, we, we put a lid on that cup and we say, no, I, don't, I have enough. I don't need any more words of wisdom. I don't need any more encouragement or empowerment. My cup is good. But get, your cup is only halfway full. What are you going to do with a half a foot cup of water? We have to be able to unlit that cup and pour water into it to the, until the overflow is what affects people. The overflow of the love of God that's poured into your life needs to be able to affect everybody around you. That overflow of wisdom, of discernment, right, of, of grace, and of mercy has to overflow your cup. Don't just accept a little and put the lid on it. That's what you do when you're not receptive to being spoken into. Leave your cup open. Because trust me, the Spirit has a lot, a lot to pour into your life. Your neighbors, your, your friends, your leaders have a lot to pour into your life. And we have to be open to that. Because it's from the overflow is how we multiply. It's from the overflow is how we grow and affect our community. In Proverbs, um, uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verses 15, right? It says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be categorized as the fool. I want to be categorized as the wise, and I'm sure you guys do. But if we want to do that, what do we have to do? We have to be able to listen to advice. We have to be able to listen to advice. So if you were to ask that question, what keeps you from listening? Do we think that we're in a position of Moses who just got done splitting the seas? I'm sure we haven't split dishwater recently, right? We haven't done any of that. But for some reason, we have this pompous attitude that we are not one to be spoken to. Why are we so rejecting of that? Here you see Jethro give advice to Moses. This is Moses we're talking about. He gives advice to Moses, and it's something that all leaders, everybody in this room can relate to. So if you're going to question anything, right, I want you to think about those things, right? Are you able to speak into Are you doing this alone? And three, as simple as it, are you listening? Are you listening? Right in Exodus uh, chapter 18, verses 24. 
This is Moses' response. He says, so Moses listened to the voice of his father, his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. Can you imagine if Moses responded differently? He was like, okay, that's cool, but let me think about it. I know you're stuck in the desert for 40 years. You've got some time to think, but that's not how you're going to respond to Jethro. Let me think about it. No, he responded quickly. He said, Moses listened to him in the, vo- uh, the voice of his father-in-law and did as he said. Are we responding in that same way? And if not, what keeps us from responding in that same way? Because I, I tell you, man, like I grew up in a Cambodian church, right? Where there was no speaking to each other. There was people, anybody that's older than you is allowed to speak. If you are younger, you can't say nothing. You can go home and complain all you want, but you can't say nothing. And when I was asked to become a youth pastor within that church, that was the one thing that we had to figure out. I'm not doing anything to challenge the culture of being Cambodian, right? But if it compromised who we are as loving neighbors to each other and what it says biblically, I will challenge it. And the only reason why I was able to do that was because the people that spoke into me, my father, the people that were able to speak into me, Moses, right? My friend Moses, who's, who's coming along as a church plant resident as well, right? Those people spoke into me, and, and, and the, the truthness of the gospel in itself is what gave me the boldness to be able to step up. I'm like, hey, we got to fix this. This is not going to work. And it all starts with that positioning we're talking about. Speak the truth because you know the truth. Love your neighbors because you were loved first. Right? And there's no greater love than that. No greater love than that. So that is the challenge today. When was the last time you've spoken into anybody? And if you're going to speak into somebody, you better bet you better prepare yourself to be spoken into as well. Because that's how the reciprocal work, right? A lot of times, like when you go into the church, like we asked 100, we, and I wouldn't say we, I didn't ask them, but there was a survey that asked 100 college students, what are some of the things that you, that you look for in a church? And here's their response. Number one, they want, to, they want to be in a church where they feel like the pastor or, or the preaching style is able to speak to them, speaks in, in their terms, uh, is real, um, it's relatable, right? Number two, that the worship is lit, <laughs> right? They, that's, that's a huge thing. It make, it, man, when, you, when, you, when I sit here and, I, and I'm experiencing this Genesis worship, and I, just, I just want to do flips on the table, and I'm out of shape. You're not going to get me to do no flips, right? And number three... It's this community. I want to be able to in a place where I feel loved and I feel connected, and I want to be able to find that. I want to be able to find that sense of connection. A lot of people end up leaving the church because they haven't built those connections. You know why? Because community is not something that you look for. Community is something you build. So if you're not willing or you're not in a position to want to build a community, then you also don't have the right to complain that you ain't find one. Community is not, it's not something you look for. It's something you build. And this is what we're doing here. You see the conversation between Jethro and Moses? They're building that community with their people. This is how we lead our people. This is how we empower our people. So what are we doing within this community to continue to build and empower people? Speak into each other. Listen to each other. Because we can't do it by ourselves.